0: Well, many of us understand just how challenging it is when you move to a new community and you have to select a new church. Uh, those of us who've done that, we understand how difficult it is to examine a church and evaluate the ministry of that church. Because sometimes you can walk into big, beautiful, imposing buildings and, and they, they actually house a dying congregation or a dead congregation. Uh, my former pastor did that very thing. When he moved to California, he went to uh, he went to a really a large building, multi million dollar facility, and huge property, but there was like less than ten people left in the congregation. But sometimes you can walk into very modest buildings, you know, maybe one like you might consider the building you're in currently, and. Sometimes you can find a, a growing, vibrant assembly that's actually on the march for God, that are passionate about God. I remember a church I used to go to in the States. We, we met in a smaller community hall than this, and it was in the middle of a cornfield. And it was like, it was weird. But, uh, but I loved it. Loved it. They, they, they loved God. They were passionate about serving Him. And sometimes uh, the church that you, you think might be rich and I don't mean just money-wise, can turn out to be poor in God's sight. And that's one of the things that Jesus teaches us here in Revelation. And and, and sometimes the, the church that appears to be poor is actually rich. And of course, only the head of the church, who by the way is Jesus Christ, can accurately inspect each church. He's the only one who knows the true condition of every church, because he's the only one who sees the internals. You think of Jesus as the great physician, and He, 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 in these, these seven messages to seven churches, He's giving an x-ray of their condition. By the way, as the Lord Jesus is speaking here, bear in mind churches are made of individual Christians. And this is where you come in, because you, you see, even our church is made up of individuals. And you, you determine the spiritual life of our church. And so as we read these messages and study them together, it's important you apply them personally to your own heart. Now as we come to the first church today, you need to understand something of the context. Let's talk about Ephesus for a moment. Because this is this letter here was written to the church in a location called Ephesus, and it was a thriving metropolis by the end of the 1st century AD uh, commercially it was the largest city in the roman province of asia it was a it was termed actually a free city by rome and that just that that was just an organizational scheme within the roman empire where they would grant a particular status to to a, a region or a city and it was all based on their 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 faithfulness and their their fidelity to the Roman Empire. The religious life in Ephesus was interesting, to say the least. Uh, the religious life there it re- revolved around the worship of a goddess. The Greeks called her Artemis. You'll see a picture on the screen here, or I should say an idol. It, it was really an idol. Wow, where'd it go? There it is! That's Artemis. Lovely, isn't she? Uh, I say that sarcastically. And, and the Romans called her Diana, and that's why I've put the Roman name up there as, for you as well. But and, and of course, they had a huge statue within the temple. The temple, by the way, was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was massive, it was beautiful, it was ornate. It was a, a building, by the way, that was 130 meters long. Longer than a soccer field or a rugby field. It was about 67 meters wide. And within there was the most important thing was the image of Artemis. It was the most sacred object of worship in the ancient world. If you lived there in that time, that would be the number one place on your bucket list to go visit. Not that we have those things. But anyway, it, it was really important. And besides being a religious center, you need to understand what was also associated with the temple. It was a gathering place for criminals. It was a scene of widespread immorality. And as a result of that, prostitution thrived in Ephesus, primarily because of the temple. A lot of immoral immoral activities were, were going on there, and they were actually looked upon as sacred things. Not sin. It was sacred. It was a good thing. For them. And there was a lot of priestesses, prostitutes. And this is a very hostile circumstance where the gospel in, invades and in advanced. The gospel won some of its greatest triumphs here in Ephesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul visited the city. Uh, you may recall, read the book of, of Acts. I believe it was in his second missionary journey around the year 52, where the Apostle Paul visited. And uh, Acts mentions he left Priscilla and Aquila there at uh, Ephesus. And it was on his third missionary journey where the Apostle Paul returned back to Ephesus. And he actually spent three years in the city of Ephesus. And the citizens, uh, of course, didn't like the gospel, didn't like Paul. And they opposed the preaching of the word and actually forced the Apostle Paul to leave the city. But uh, fortunately, there was a, uh, uh, a local congregation that was established there. And it actually became the center of evangelism for the entire area of Asia. That's Asia Minor. And so that's, that's, that's a little bit of the context here that Jesus is speaking into here. Now, as we read this letter to the church in Ephesus, we need to bear in mind there's a really important question that needs answered right from the beginning. Who is this in verse 1? In verse 1, we need to answer this question. Who is that person there who is holding the seven stars in his hand, and he's walking among the seven golden lampstands? May I remind you, chapter divisions are not inspired. Uh, That question is actually answered over in chapter 1, verse 16. In verse 16, as it talks about Jesus, it says that, In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. By the way, chapter 1 is talking about Jesus, talking about Christ. So he is the Lord of the church. He is, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the one speaking as we read this letter. So let's read Revelation 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, all the churches kind of getting similar outlines. So, over the next few weeks, your outlines are going to be very similar. Nothing original. We're we're, going to look at the good stuff Jesus says to the churches, the bad stuff He says, the rebukes that He gives to the churches. What's the solution to to the bad stuff? That's basically what you're going to get in these outlines. So this text is teaching us that Christ wants you to love Him fervently. Christ wants you to love Him fervently. But before we get into that, notice Christ's commendation. He does knows some things about this particular church. And, by the way, these are all good things. These are the things that Jesus knows and he likes. And these are the things you ought to like. These are the things you ought to emulate as Christ's church. So notice that Jesus Christ knows all about this church. In fact, he knows all about all churches. And that word, by the way, is reflecting a full and complete knowledge. It depicts absolute clearness of mental vision. There is no corner of this church that is dark. There is nothing about this church that the Lord of the church does not know. In fact, the Bible over and over again teaches us that that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. For example, look at this. Psalm 139, verse 1, talks about what God knows. It says, O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. That's what God knows. And the point, friends, is that God knows everything. But it's really interesting the very, there are six, six things that Jesus knows about this particular church. Let's just talk about them quickly. Number one uh, Ephesus was a serving church. Ephesus was a serving church because look what verse 2 says. Jesus says, I know your works. You know what that means? It means that this particular church had a weekly schedule that was filled with all kinds of activities. Who knows? Maybe even they, they, they may have even had a hobby night just like we did last week. Imagine what would Ephesus' hobby night look like? Hmm, did they have skateboards? They probably didn't have Nerf wars. They may have had sword fights, right? Did they have crocheting and knitting? I don't know, right? Anyway, I digress. But the point is, they were a busy serving church. They knew how to serve the Lord. And Jesus commends them for that. Number two, they were a sacrificing church. They were a sacrificing church. Notice what Jesus knew about them. He says, I know your toil. That, that, that word toil in your Bible is interesting. It, it talks about working to the point of sweat and exhaustion. Any of you ever done that? You, you ever worked up a sweat? You ever worked to a point where you, 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 you fainted? That's the idea here. It's describing this all-out effort, demanding all a person has to give. And, and it's everything, by the way. This is talking about giving your emotions, giving physically, giving mentally. And so these Ephesians were diligent workers for the cause of Christ. The Ephesians were uh they were not spectators in the spiritual arena. Oh no, they weren't sitting up in the the grandstands just spectating and looking on. No, they were actively participating. And so in the midst of a pagan society, they were aggressively evangelizing the lost. They were edifying the saints. They were caring for people in need. And that's why they were a sacrificing church. That's why they were commended by Christ. But number three, they were a steadfast church. They were a steadfast church because notice what Jesus knew about them. He says, I know that you are patiently enduring. And that just means they were enduring under trials. They were... Patient in very trying circumstances. In other words, you could say they kept going when the going got tough. By the way, the word patient in your Bible uh, does not uh, refer to a fatalistic resignation, <laughs> but it's talking about a courageous acceptance of their hardship and their suffering and their loss. And so, despite all the difficult circumstances, this church remained faithful. Christ. Now, you need to understand, there's two kinds of people it seems like in every church. There's workers and shirkers. There's workers and shirkers in every church. And it's a really sad state of affairs it? that in it seems like in most churches there's less than 20% of the people who are actively attending the church or are involved in any type of ministry. Think about it, friends. How healthy would your physical body be if only 20% of your body decided to work. That doesn't make for a healthy body physically, and it certainly doesn't make for a healthy spiritual body either. And so, the church is described as a body in First Corinthians 12. So, how, how healthy is our body? How healthy are, are you? It's important that you be a part of the body, and functioning healthily, accordingly, whatever that may look like for you. And so Christ goes on, number four, to commend them for being a sensitive church. In other words, by sensitive, I just mean they were a discerning church. They, they showed discernment, because notice at the end of verse 2, it says uh, they, were, they were testing those who who even called themselves apostles and are not, and they found these people who call themselves to be apostles to not actually be apostles, they were actually false. And uh, so they were holding this, this holy standard of behavior. They were, they were sensitive to sin and they're carefully examining even the visiting preachers, uh, to see were they genuine or not. Why did they do that, by the way? Remember, They knew the Apostle Paul, and what did the Apostle Paul teach this church? He warned, in fact, Paul warned the Ephesian elders. The last thing he said to them was that false teachers would come in from the outside and even would arise from within the church. Do you remember what he said in Acts 20? Here's what he says. This is the Apostle Paul. He says to the Ephesian elders, Be That's your responsibility as well, by the way. Not just the elders. The sheep need to be alert. Well, Jesus talks about false teachers as well, because false teachers pose a constant danger to the church. And so Jesus warned of false prophets in Matthew 7 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you. Notice how they're dressed, notice how they look. They're dressed in sheep's clothing. But inside, inwardly, are ravenous wolves. Watch out. Watch out. And the Apostle John had something to say about this elsewhere. He instructed the believers to try the spirits. In 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, my friends... I hope you get the point from several apostles and the Lord Jesus himself that Satan has his false ministers, and the church has to be constantly alert to detect them, show the discernment and the sensitivity here, and you reject them. So Paul confronted false teachers in Corinth, and he, uh, he basically rips their mask off, showing who they really are in this description here. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, the Bible says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That their end will correspond to their deeds. In other words, they'll get what they deserve. Right? So, serious warnings in the Bible for false teachers but jesus goes on to commend them for being a suffering church in verse 3 notice what he says i know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake he knew their suffering he 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 knew what was happening to them there were believers in the church who were losing their property there were some going to prison Uh, There was probably some dying. There was certainly great persecution. People were losing their jobs. Uh, You you know, when when you you shine light on the darkness, what did Jesus say? What did he say? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. you, You shine the light in the dark places, and they are not going to like it. That's what happened in Ephesus. They suffered for it. But notice they did all that for the sake of Christ's name. Christ was greater than their job. Christ was greater than their property. Christ was greater than their very life. And so they suffered for Christ's name and His sake. And last of all, Christ commends them that they were a separated church. They were a separated church, as uh, verse 6 tells you. Because notice, uh, they hated the words of the Nicolaitans. Interesting group of people. See, Ephesian Christians separated themselves not only from false doctrine, but also from false deeds. It's important to do both. There's a lot of mystery surrounding these Nicolaitans. What what exactly is their identity? Let me try to help you. Uh, I I found the, the best explanation coming from Dr. Robert Thomas in his commentary on Revelation. Here's what he says, quote, The explanation that takes the Nicolaitans to be composed of followers of Nicholas of Antioch has strong support in the early church, and he names several of the early church fathers who talked about the Nicolaitans, for example, Irenaeus. Uh, So added to the testimony of him is Tertullian, Hippolytus, Dorothus of Tyre, Jerome, Augustine, Eusebius, and others. And they they all say this that it was a, a sect of sexually immoral people who rejected fixed moral laws. They also believed that matter is evil, therefore Jesus cannot be human. Well, that's that's clear heresy. Uh and so they were a they were a heretical sect who retained pagan practices like idolatry and immorality contrary to the thought and the conduct required in Christian churches. End quote. So so understand this friends this this local body at Ephesus rejected this group of people for their uh their false doctrine and their false deeds and so Jesus commends them for doing this and so that's interesting because as you look at this church you might say well wow this uh this is an amazing church it, it it's it's almost perfect <laughs> however the great physician gave an x-ray of the church, he saw into their deep, dark places of their heart, and the Lord of the church had a different diagnosis of their condition. So let's look at Christ's condemnation in verse 4. What did Jesus say? He says, But, yeah, here comes the bad news, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So, may I remind you, a lot of good things were said about this church. Jesus said they were busy, they were separated, they were sacrificing, and they were suffering. They, but they had a heart problem. And, and the problem, by the way, was not an accident. I want you to notice what the Bible says. It's, it's very clear in its words, because the Bible doesn't say that they lost their first love. No, 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 friends. It says they abandoned their first love that's two different things see if you if you lose your car keys uh, most of the time you don't purposely forget about them it was an accident right Uh, you didn't mean to do that but this is something different when you when somebody abandons their baby on a doorstep somewhere they've done that on purpose it was a conscious choice So notice Jesus' condemnation. First of all, He says about them, they had abandoned their first love. So friends, this is an act of their will. Uh, This truth is is actually scary to me, that this is even possible for a church. Because uh, I could be like this, you could be like this. This should scare you. You could be a busy, serving person for the Lord Jesus Christ and leave your first love while in the act of serving Him. That's horrifying. This church is displaying all kinds of works and labor and patience and qualities. Sadly, we're not motivated out of love for Christ. And so this brings us to a very vital lesson, friends. Why we do what we do is important. And so we have to examine our motives. Did you hear that? Examine your motives. What you do is important. But the Bible also says why you do it is also important. So let me ask you this, friends. What is first love? Because it says they abandoned their first love. So what have they willfully abandoned? What is it that they gave up? Well, here's what one commentator said. Quote: Look at the screen here. It is the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes the new believer. It's fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. It is the honeymoon love of the husband and wife. End quote. And if you don't know what that looks like, just l- look at the honeymooners in our congregation, okay? I'm sure they're going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next few months. Uh, and, and those of you who are married, uh, do you remember your honeymoon? For some of us, that was a long time ago. Uh, I, I can still remember my honeymoon, and uh, there was a lot of interesting things that I could talk about, which I won't bore you with. But I, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was fervent, uh, personal, uninhibited. I, I mean, we did a lot of kissing in public that we don't do these days anymore. Right? Uh, we we just didn't care, you know. We just didn't care what other people thought. We're just going to kiss in public, and if people want to watch us, go for it. Uh, Yeah, it was uninhibited. We were excited. We openly displayed our love to everyone. And uh, we're not so much like that anymore. I know, it's kind of sad, isn't it? But um, hopefully... You can look at honeymooners and learn something from that, because this is one of the points God's trying to make here. Uh, now, I hope that, uh, by the way, those of you who are married, that the knowledge of your spouse has actually grown over time, as time has gone on. But, uh, but probably all of us could use some more passion in our marriages. <laughs> uh, as for God, though, He expects us to have a honeymoon type of love for Him. And the question for you is, Is that you? Do do you have that kind of love for God? And those of you who have never been married, you might have a hard time with this. Um, So look at the definition, try to meditate upon that. But just think, friends, it's possible to serve and to sacrifice and suffer for the name of Christ and not really love the one whom you're suffering for. And so the Ephesian believers were so busy Maintaining their separation from the Nicolaitans, that they were neglecting adoration for Christ. And so, friends, listen closely. Listen, labor is no substitute for love. You need both, labor for Christ and love for Christ. Both of them is how you will please Him. So look at the description of love here in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is so important. It is the greatest motivation for what you do. You say, okay, yeah, okay, I, Jesus says this is really important. So how do I know if I am abandoning and leaving, purposely leaving and abandoning my first love? Here's some thoughts for you, friends. Do you have a coolness of heart? Do you have a coolness of heart? Do you remember the lawyer who came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22? He asked an interesting question of Jesus. He said, Jesus, or Rabbi, you know, uh, which is the greatest commandment? (laughs) Remember Jesus' answer? Jesus knew his Old Testament scriptures. He answers Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and he says, You shall love Yahweh with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So friends, who really has first place in your life? Well, how do I know if if there are signs of abandoning my first love? Well, number two, do you have a callousness towards sin? Do you have a callousness towards sin? I mean, think about the stuff you do and where you go, what you listen to, what you watch. All of those things are are going to reveal something of your heart. You know, the, the, the TV shows you watch, the music you listen to, and the news you read, and the, the internet stuff you, you, you watch and read. And all of that is telling something about the condition of your heart. Right? I can't see it, but the great physician does. He knows. If you have a callousness towards sin, it shows you're headed in the wrong direction. Because one who is sensitive to sin, like Jesus commends this church for, is on the right path. Jesus commended them for that. But do you also have a contentment in your spiritual growth? It's interesting, as the Apostle Paul grew in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's interesting to see his progression in his own spiritual growth. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And as he's coming toward the end of his life, Paul says things like 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. And So he, even he was growing in his sanctification and his walk with God. That's a good thing. It shows that he had, an, he had not abandoned his love for Christ. And number four, do you have a carelessness toward people? You ever notice what Paul says in Romans 9, 3? An amazing statement when he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Powerful statement. He had a great love for people. He certainly was not careless toward people. Friends, there's there's billions of people on planet earth today. We're we're approaching what uh I think 8 million or 8 billion, sorry. And, and there's something like 5 billion of of people on planet earth who are outside the clear preaching of the gospel. Uh somebody said we're 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 well over now 50,000 people going to hell every single day. Do you care? You should if you don't then you have a carelessness toward people and that's a sign of abandoning your love for Christ so what do you do if you recognize if you if you recognize hey okay all right i can see some signs there of abandoning my first love well i've got some great news for you friends there is actually hope for those of us who have sinned and so this passage tells us that first love can be restored if you follow three instructions that Christ gives to us here in this text. Number one, look at Christ's correction here. And they all start with the letter R. They all start with the letter R. Number one, here's the correction. Here's the instructions the great physician gives as he's examined your x-ray. And he says, remember your past. Remember your past. In Greek, that is present, active, imperative. And remember, imperatives are commands. Commands. Remember, present tense just means it's an ongoing thing. You must literally keep on remembering what you have lost and and cultivate this desire to regain this close communion with Him again. You say, well, why is that important? It's because forgetfulness is frequently the initial cause of your spiritual decline. That's why the Bible's all the time telling us to remember. Don't forget. Return. So if you want to avoid spiritual decline, you need to remember. Remember what? Remember your past. It's important. But number two, Jesus says, repent of your sin. He wants you to repent of your sin. And again, that's imperative. Confess your sin. You you turn from your sin. The idea is you forsake your sin. But but you, you put off. Whenever you put off something, remember the principle of replacement. You have to put something in His place. Yes, forsake your sin, but please, put Christ in place. So what's God doing here? He's dealing with your will because it's only an act of your will that's going to make it possible for you to return to your first love. So repent of your sin. And three, repeat your best works. Another imperative. It's another imperative. You have to repeat those best works. You say, repeat what well jesus christ says you repeat the first works or or those deeds that you did at first when when you first became a christian what what was life like for you well just look at some people in this congregation it, it's very illuminating if you if you can't remember what you used to be like because it was so long ago then you can look at people in this congregation it's fun do it i suggest you you do that but some people look at this and say, okay, oh, I'm a, but I'm a feeler. I'm not a thinker. Well, you say, well, what about my emotions? Do I just ignore them? No. But friends, the Bible's clear. It's an act of the will that's going to cause those emotions to follow. It's an act of your will that's going to cause those emotions to follow. For example, think about your personal devotions with God. Or you, if you whatever you call it your quiet time with God, whatever name you want to attach to that, what does that look like? and you say, well man sometimes sometimes my emotions just have a really hard time getting into God's word, okay, I understand that right sometimes I have a hard time I, i'm not i don't feel like being fervent in prayer. I understand that I have those days. so what do you do? You you repeat the first words. You you do the deeds that you you used to do. And you know what often happens? The emotions follow. If you have a hard time opening your Bible and reading it, just do it and pray for God to give you the emotions that you need, the love love for Him. And He he often does that. Uh, How about when you come to hear preaching? Do you have expectancy when you come to hear preaching, or is it is it drudgery is it painful is it really hard for you if if that's the case then that's that's something you need to pray for try to remember what what it used to be like if if you ever were at that point and pray for that expectancy to hear God's word and uh give obedient service to the Lord and, and do it out of love do it because you're passionate about that and so God wants you to repeat your best words, whatever those are. And you you do that, your emotions will follow, usually. But Jesus goes on to give some chastening to this church. So look at Christ's chastening here in verse 5, because this is very, very serious. Because he says, after he gives his solution of remember, repent, and repeat, he says, If not... If you don't do this, he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what's Christ doing here? Christ demanded that they change or they would be chastened. Friends, failure to heed this warning would cause him to remove their lampstand. And by the way, I put a picture on the screen of what is left of Ephesus. Not much left in Ephesus these days. It's really a, 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 a This is really symbolic of the Ephesian church in many ways. So in spite of all the privileges that Ephesus and this church enjoyed, and uh, it, it was amazing, but Jesus is saying here that they're in danger of losing their light. And so friends, the church that loses its love is soon going to lose its light. It doesn't matter how good their doctrinal statement is. It doesn't matter how good their theology is. If they lose their love for Christ, they are in serious danger. And so the glorious city of Ephesus today is is, is in ruins. There's a few stones there now, but nobody's really living in there. And there certainly is no light shining there today. So that's Christ's warning. It's a warning to us even today. Take heed. So look at Christ's challenge here in verse 7. Here's the challenge, friends, because notice this particular letter ends and closes with this exhortation and a promise. Two things, an exhortation and a promise. See, notice Christ's exhortation is, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me just highlight that phrase, let him hear, because in Greek, that's imperative. That's not an option. You you must hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to to his churches. And so, what's this doing? It's emphasizing this sober responsibility that all Christians have to heed God's voice from Scripture. Heed it. Not enough to just hear. You've got to do something about it. Now, friends, here's the good news, because Christ... Promised the overcoming Christians at Ephesus that, uh, that there was some good news if they heeded and did something about it. Because notice what he says. They would eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's awesome, because do you know where the tree of life is first mentioned in your Bible? I encourage you, go you can go back if you don't know, but but in Genesis chapter 2, the tree of life, there it is! In the Garden of Eden. How cool is that? So the context there is the Garden of Eden. And and do you know where the last time in your Bible the Tree of Life shows up? In Revelation. It's actually the very last chapter in your Bible. The Tree of Life shows up again, but it's not in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) It's actually in heaven. And so you ask, well, okay, that. That's that's very interesting, Pastor Scott. But what is that all about? And and what does that have to do with me? I mean, that's a tree. You know, some people don't care about trees. You need to care about this tree because the tree of life is symbolizing eternal life, and the paradise of God is heaven. I mean, when Jesus was talking to that thief on the, the you know the dude on the cross next to him who was dying with him. Jesus says, you know, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He wasn't talking about the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Right? So it's symbolizing heaven. Christ is promising faithful Christians who love him that there's eternal life in heaven for all believers. What a great promise. (laughs) I can't think of anything better than that. And so verse 7 is making it clear, I hope, to you that Individual believers within a church may be true to Jesus no matter what other people in the congregation are doing. Right. So just because someone falls away or somebody starts believing heresy or whatever doesn't mean you have to do that. It doesn't mean you're doomed. But in general, the church of Ephesus was this church of loveless orthodoxy. And as a result of that, they were made up of loveless Christians who neglected their love for Christ and others. And it's sad. And it's a warning. So let me ask you, friends, are you guilty of the same neglect? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is displayed quite differently in the Revelation. Of Jesus Christ here, we're we're thankful that He's He has ascended. He has all glory and honor and power and blessing, and uh, we see Him displaying uh, Himself here amazingly in the Book of Revelation. And so, may we see Jesus Christ as He is displayed here for us. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has all knowledge, all power, all presence, and more. and Uh, We we thank you for that. And so may we love him fervently. May we serve him passionately. Do both of these at the same time. May we do that till he returns. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.